Welcome back uh, to a panel discussion on um, climate and IT, featuring uh, this very handsome panel um, with uh, Professor Christian Sederval-Lauter from University of Copenhagen, uh, Carolina Benjaminsen from uh, Digital Lead, uh, Olivier Corati from Electricity Labs, and uh, Executive uh, Chief Scientific Officer Thomas Bjornholm from Willum Fonden. Uh, I would like to start you uh, to with uh, kind of if you could give a short introduction to, uh, to each of you, uh, uh, some just a short thing about uh, what are your uh, relations to climate IT. Could you start uh, with you, Christian? Yes, thanks for having me uh, on this joyous occasion. Congratulations to ITU on this uh, brave initiative. Um, my research background is as a lawyer uh, studying disasters. Uh, so it might seem weird why I'm sitting here to discuss climate and IT. For the last couple of years, I've dealt in my research with the interrelationship between decision-making and science, between all the difficult choices we have with climate change ahead of us in terms of governance, and thereby information technology comes up as a natural intermediary between all of these different, difficult paradoxes that we have ahead of us. And then, of course, as a crisis scholar, I think increasingly climate change is emerging as a global crisis as well. Uh, but um, I might come back to that and how that might affect the answers to, to your questions. Thank you very much, uh, Carolina. Thank you. Thank you for the and uh, huge congratulations with the center. Um, I think it's a, a very important center, and I uh, wish you a great growth from here on, and later, more on that later. Uh, I'm uh, the CEO of uh, Digital Lead. Digital Lead is Denmark's national cluster for digital technology. We gather all eight uh, universities of Denmark, three GTS institutes, and then we have 400 member companies spread all over uh, Denmark. Our member companies are mostly digital companies, but we do also have uh, companies parting our organization from other um, business areas, especially within energy. Um, uh, my relation to climate IT, uh, we work uh, in two directions in Digital Lead. We work with the digital resilience. Uh, in that area, we cover everything with uh, cyber security, uh, intelligent uh, software development, database structures. And then we have a whole area called Digital and Green, where we have all our green digital projects we do together with universities, GTS institutes, private organizations, and companies. Yeah. Olivier, understand that electricity are directly involved in actually tracking what is going on. Yes, let's see, this works perfect. Um, so I guess I'm the younger person here, um, as you see by the clothes as well. <laughs> no? <laughs> Too soon. Too soon? <laughs> Too soon. <laughs> you can see by the clothes as well that it's more the startup uh, representation here. So I'm the, I'm the founder of a company called uh, Electricity Maps. I'm uh, half French, uh, half Danish. My background is in machine learning engineering. And uh, I remember back in the days... In my CV uh, at the top, it said energy and IT, because these were the two worlds that I wanted to put together. And it turns out that it ended up being climate and IT, and I think that's uh, why I, I guess I'm, I'm a bit here today. Electricity maps, uh, what is it? 
It is a platform, a data platform, that measures in real time the origin of electricity. Uh, we do that globally. We do it in Denmark as well. We're predicting as well how clean the electricity will be in the next couple of hours. And some of the examples of stuff that we're doing, uh, Google's data centers worldwide are using our data in order to utilize uh, their electricity at the optimal time to reduce their carbon emissions. Uh, if you have a Windows laptop, it turns out there's a new feature that came out. The uh, Windows updates are now scheduled at the time where the electricity power in your laptop is the cleanest. Uh, and I think this is just scratching the surface on something we're calling carbon-aware computing, where ideally all of our devices that are connected to the internet and utilizing electricity should use electricity when it's clean or green. Um, so super happy to be here today, and I think this center is very much uh, needed and paving the way for a lot of interesting things in the future. Thank you very much. And uh, Thomas Bjørnholm from Willumfonden. Yes. Thank you very much, and congratulations with the inauguration of this center. Uh, I represent Willum, the Willum Foundation, founded by Willum Kane Rasmussen uh, more than 50 years ago. And he invented the Velux window, which is a rooftop window that every day knows, and maybe some of the people not from Denmark also know it, because today it's a multinational company uh, selling these windows all over the world. And uh, I don't think the founder anticipated that it would be so successful because he decided to give back uh, more or less all the profits from selling these windows every single year to society uh, uh, in, a, in a purely philanthropic way. And so uh, today it's the second biggest uh, foundation in terms of uh, pay, payouts to, uh, to philanthropy in, in Denmark. And uh, we uh, support research. Uh, excellent research, very much like the European Research Council, that uh, philosophy. IT has a very special place uh, in the research portfolio, and we even have some instruments where IT is, uh, is a, um, especially uh, you know, exposed uh, and, and, and so mandatory part of the applications if you want to do problem-oriented interdisciplinary research, which is highly relevant, I think, for climate. Uh, and, the, and the sort of the whole spirit and the family behind the, the VKR group uh, is, you know, has a strong interest in climate, sort of per se. So the combination of a strong interest and a, a, a very professional research uh, fund, uh, I think, is good. Uh, we don't have any climate calls uh, or climate IT calls because we, we don't like that. And uh, normally, we, you know... You just have to give the researchers, uh, you know, the possibility to play with their own ideas, and that's that's the philosophy of the European Research Council. That's also our philosophy, and so maybe you now think, well, does that help the climate? And then I can tell you that if we look, so we have our portfolio of uh, almost four billion kroner of research projects. If we look through that, uh, about twenty-five percent, one billion, is uh, actually. Uh, deals with climate research. Uh, so that's good. So the researchers themselves, the excellent researchers, they actually have an interest in the climate, and that's the best way to fund them, we think. But maybe the most interesting thing is if we look through that portfolio and ask ourselves, what is the most important project that has mitigated the climate issues, climate change, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere? It's actually an IT project. <laughs> Uh, that was, would never have been funded if we had a, you know, a call for climate uh, IT. 
because it was simply an algorithm uh, published in the open literature by one of our grantees, Mikkel Thorup, who, uh, who showed a way to bring information in and out of the cloud. Maybe it has of interest to you. And uh, three months later, he got an email from Vimeo, uh, the big cloud uh, I don't know, company, saying, thank you very much for this publication. We saved 90% of our electricity bill when we implemented your algorithm. And since we all know that the, the cloud is a, a serious, is a serious, uh, you know, has a serious footprint uh, on the climate, then that's maybe the most important project at all. So that's my introduction. Thank you very much. When you talk about the climate in general, people are talking about how can we reduce how much we drive in cars, can we uh, use less heat and stuff like that at home. And there are some very concrete kind of uh, analog ways of, uh, of doing, uh, trying to do good things for the climate. But uh, the, the big question here is what role do you see uh, IT playing in relation to climate change? And now we're taking the kind of uh, the, the, the short look in the next five and ten years. And I think it would be a good thing maybe to start with, uh, with you, uh, Christian, as an expert in... What, what do you see? Uh, where do you see IT coming in uh, to to uh, to help us in uh, this uh, troublesome age? So, in every evaluation I've ever read after a disaster, three things comes out as something people didn't do well enough. The first thing is coordination. Second thing is communication, and the third thing is what we could call a common operational picture. People didn't know the same thing at the same time. I think IT might help us address these three issues. And to start from common operational picture, I think there is a desperate need in the world to make climate change tangible, to make it understandable, something you can relate to, to develop IT that can help us understand what the effects of climate change will be, not only for us right here, right now, but across time scales and across place. And I think, I think that's a major thing where IT could really change things. Secondly, coordination. We're dealing with a global problem that we have to address at the same time everywhere. But we don't have the same resources available to do so. Actually, if you look at who will be most challenged by climate change, it's also those countries with the least possibilities of adapting. So coordinating our efforts, sharing our knowledge, examples and ideas across, in particular, space, I think IT could play a crucial role in doing that. And finally, communication. I think we desperately need communication across timescales in place, and I think that's exactly what IT could do. And then I have a fourth C, which I think is... The, the gist, the, the sum up of what climate change is really placing us in, and that's complexity. And the complexity, of course, are all the paradoxes, that we're trying to solve the problems with the very means that created the problem, that we are producing more CO2 than ever when we're producing IT infrastructures that should help us actually deal with production of CO2. And that is a paradox and a challenge to a center like this one, to be self-critical, to be self-aware, to be the transformative practices you preach on your own, um, on your own, uh, on your own research simultaneously. 
I'm thinking uh, that what you're talking about here is, is mainly uh, how we can kind of uh, get some kind of, kind of common ground uh, for this discussion and maybe uh, some more awareness. But as they talked about in uh, one of the last talk before the break, is that what is going, we need to have happening here is maybe not technical but political. How do you see? Uh, do, do you think uh, IT can also have an effect on uh, the politicians? decision-making worldwide. I was a little late, I'm sorry, but that person who said that sounds incredibly smart, and I agree. Uh, I, 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 I have a lot of hesitance as to framing IT as a solution. IT is not a solution. IT, IT is a mean, like the rest of everything, people. Everything slowly needs to change its direction in the years to come, IT including, included in that in that transformative move in our society. And I, so I think that's absolutely true. And I think um, IT might play a crucial role in creating a political awareness and political tools that would enable us to actually create this transformation. But IT is not going to fix anything. And that ridiculous hockey stick, uh, they, can, uh, they can break that open. And you know, let's start get our hands dirty on the real dilemmas here. Because I think that's what this whole discussion is about. And I think. That's what the center should also be able to do and frame that discussion. And I have a lot of faith in the people behind the center in their ability to do so because it's exactly not people who think about technical fixes but rather in the larger political, social uh, arenas where this has to be embedded within. Thank you very much, uh, Carolina uh, Benjamin, new from Digital. Uh, how do you see... Uh, uh, IT's, uh, IT's relation to, uh, to climate change in the next five to ten years? Yeah, uh, I see it uh, as a huge mean to some of the problems we see. Um, I would also stress that my position is closer to, to the market, closer to companies. Uh, and uh, I, th- one of the earlier talks uh, tried to actually... Um, enable us to grasp or see the transparency in the digital development through going away from the digital into the physical realms again. That was with the pregnancy technology. I can't find her. Oh, there you are. Yeah, great. Uh, I really liked that uh, analogy uh, because uh, right now consumer uh, market are, are, are driving uh, in a complete uh, other direction. And we need to take the own medicine within IT. We need to also look at how we produce not only the thing we want to put at the market, but also how we produce for disassembly, how the whole loop of production uh, is putting a a climate uh, print uh, on the earth. Uh, That said, technology has incredible power to optimize, regulate, calculate, making smart solutions, enabling us uh, to a more easy uh, green transition. Let's, for example, take the energy uh, sector. I just bought a new uh, uh, washing machine. I think it's incredible uh, when I look at my old washing machine because we are in the middle of an energy crisis and I can time it so it washes in the middle of the bloody night when it's cheap, and I can look at my app to see when it's cheap. As a consumer, that's clever. But why on earth isn't it completely linked to uh, data? Why on earth do we need to pay the double the electricity and the heat 
in the east because there's not as much wind as in the west. Why on earth do we have all these different types of uh, problems? So I think we need to do things smarter. We still also need to look at the educational gap. That's also very important because as we become smarter, there's a large part of society that become alienated or they don't see what's behind different types of uh, technologies. Uh, and that's uh, also a comment to the hockey stick uh, you mentioned. Everybody thinks that when we get to a level where every climate solution can be navigated from your home office, then we are home safe. But that's just not going to happen. Uh, or maybe we are going to make these layers so we don't understand it, but it's not, I mean, it's not our solution because we don't deal with the real solution. So we need education and we need also transparency on all the layers we put on top of our um, software development. Yes, thank you. I think that was it for me now. Yeah. Uh, Olivier Gorati, how, how do you see uh, climate IT in 10 years? So it's a perfect segue, I think, uh, Karina. So I want to take a, a, a big because the way that we actually uh, are thinking like the big climate change problem when, when I take a big step back is that most of the greenhouse gas emissions that are emitted come from CO2, from the energy sector. And why is this energy sector so critical? Well, you know, if you talk to economists and you say, how do we count the value that we humans are creating in the world? They will say, well, we'll count the chairs that are coming out of the factories and so on. And this all sums up to GDP. And that's how we're measuring it. If you talk to a you know, physicist, they will say, well, energy is involved in the transformation of everything that you're doing. So if you want to build that chair, good luck doing it without any electricity, any heating, or anything else. Every time we're transporting something somewhere, you have oil involved, right? So this CO2 system that we have, it's based on fossil fuels. 80% of it is fossil fuels in the world. We need to get it to zero by 2050. Uh, so what we're basically saying here is that we need to reinvent 80% of the way we add value in the world. And that's because we need to get rid of this energy thing. Um, so when we look at this energy transition, you know, we can electrify stuff. We just have to remember the electricity needs to be green, right? Let's, we can sh shift to electric vehicles, that's great. But it, it, like, let's not power them using coal-based electricity. Um, and if we look at this energy transition and the challenges there, we all want a 100% renewable world. You know, wind and solar, perfect. The new thing that we're introducing now is that instead of having an electricity system where you can just put more coal, uh, dial up you know, the, the button on the power plant because you want uh, uh, your tea at home or your, your, uh, your washing machine to run, suddenly you need to turn it around. The wind is blowing, you got to use the electricity. The sun is shining, same thing. And this orchestration challenge is the kind of thing that you can only do using very fast communications, automated decision making. And so we will orchestrate this 100% renewable energy world. We can only do it if we have these clever IT systems that are predicting, making intelligent decisions, making sure the electric vehicles are charged at the right time, and so on and so forth. So I think the, the role of IT in this place is really to be able to make the invisible visible, like where, you know, where energy comes from, and make sure that we're orchestrating this thing in a smarter way, exactly what you said. Let's, let's, let's make sure that we're actually using things at the right time. So what you're actually saying is that we kind of need to automate uh, some of the processes, maybe uh, to make it, uh, to kind of take the human out of the loop. That would be the ideal. Um, and, and, you know, there's, a, there's an interesting thought that I sometimes have, and it is if you take the S train in the morning and you imagine there's no wind, uh, what do you then do? Do you start the coal uh, turbines or do you end up, you know, not, not taking the train? 
Uh, do you work from home? Like, there's all these things that are fundamentally changing the way that we are running society. Uh, and it's just not possible that you have to figure out when is the cheapest way to run your dishwasher. Uh, that should be just automatic, right? You shouldn't even think about it. I'd like to also say to the audience, if anyone has uh, any questions, they could raise their arm. Uh, we don't have any mics to take to you, but uh, if you raise your arms, then uh, we will. Uh, you, you could just stand up and shout the questions down here when I point at you. Uh, next, uh, I would like to talk to uh, Thomas Bjornholm about uh, how you, you've already said a bit in, in the start where you see uh, climate IT uh, currently, but where do you also see the politicians kind of uh, going in pushing uh, this agenda around? Well, our foundation has not much to do with the politics, but of course it's extremely important. It's obvious. I think the, one of the examples that we do support is a, is a test facility called Green Lab Skive, which is basically a stepping stone towards these energy islands that, uh, that everybody talks about that will produce the electricity uh, green uh, that we will need a lot, a lot, a lot of to uh, uh, feed all the needs, cover all the needs. And so there's a test facility, and it's basically it's on land in Skive in Jutland, but it will it relies completely on the fact that if you if you have to make a business, you know, a business model that makes it um, profitable to run such a facility, then you you can't involve the electricity company and the gas company and uh, you know the heating company every time because. If you want to use electricity to split water and then you want to use the hydrogen to reduce CO2, you can't give the electricity to the electricity company and then ask to have it back when you, uh, when you are splitting the water uh, and then uh, give the hydrogen to the hydrogen or the gas to the gas company and then pay. And every time you do that, you pay a fee to the, you know, that's the way the system works. And so all those fees stacked on top of each other, they make it completely impossible to do a green transition. So there is a lot of politics and for what is that, what is that called? Administration, administration uh, or public administration involved, that's obvious. Uh, but there's also a lot of research and uh, I gave one example, but I mean, I think, uh, I agree, IT is not the, it's not the end, it's a means to an end, like many other things, but it's a very important means. We, I mean, we have people working with batteries. It's an IT problem, how to extend the lifetime of a battery, the 800 small cells, uh, how you do that. That's machine learning and artificial intelligence. We have people working with how you make uh, airplane wings or bridges lighter, uh, lighter and more strong and flexible. That's an IT-driven desi design problem. We have people working with, uh, with the concrete. Uh, that's uh, you know, how you make that smart. That's an IT problem. I mentioned Mikkel Thorup, uh, who could um, save 90% of the electricity of Vimeo. I mean, and in the time that has passed, probably we have uploaded 100 times more videos of our grandmother. So that's also an <laughs> administrative problem. Uh, problem rather than an IT problem. We have people working with traffic regulation that's also related to the climate. We have a new pioneer center, uh, the whole, you know, working with power to X uh, and, and, and that's really hinges on new materials and the, and the frontier of designing new materials for catalysis is, uh, is uh, you know, involves digital twins and, and, and a whole new way of using artificial intelligence and, and machine learning. 
So I think you know everywhere you you look around, IT is is part is a central part of the solutions, both technical, and of course there's also a lot of other dimensions. But we are sort of focused on the technical part. Thank you, uh, Christian. Uh, when we uh, you were sitting here at the new Climate IT Center, uh, do could what of meaningful climate IT research agenda would you like to see in the future? There was some talk about automa more automation, maybe, uh, to kind of take a human out of the loop. But what, what kind of agendas would you like them to, uh, to see to take on in the future? I think, uh, so I've, I've written down uh, three things. You always have to have three things, um, questions like this. So th there's something about IT as a methodology. So Stefan and I have been working on building a database with the help of the Carlsberg Foundation, where we try to gather all the sustainability strategies, harvest all the sustainability strategies from major companies in Denmark in order to provide that research infrastructure for others to think about how can we actually uh, learn from each other, how can we, what can we learn about the sustainability strategies developed. So IT as a methodology i think there is a need, you know, I, I can sit here as a non-IT person and say all this, so please bear with me if it's, if it's entirely off. But IT, has, there's something about critique here, you know, understanding the limits of IT, understanding the problems, understanding when it's actually apt to develop IT, and to embed that within the full scale of complexity in the domains where these solutions have to work long time. And then finally, I think, you know, um, i think it's fine with, uh, with, the, with the automation, the ITS interaction, something where we can actually move things forward, where we can engage both with the, all the great Danish companies who are desperately trying to get to the forefront of these questions right now and to be a resource for that, to be kind of a halfway house. I think what's happening right now all across the world is that everyone is trying to solve the same problem simultaneously. And that provides a great opportunity for IT, I think, to synchronize, to coordinate, to help these people, to interact with all of these different things, to provide the infrastructures for that. So uh, three suggestions for research agendas. Methodology, critique, and interaction. Carolina Benjaminsen, what do you like on your, on your wish list uh, for the center? Uh, as with all good research, I would really wish uh, that uh, You hold your uh, critical re as I mean, really do critical research. It is needed, um, and also uh, uh, hold uh, the commercialized uh, distance sharp to enable you to think uh, up new and wild ideas. You have the privilege to be curious and experimental. Uh, use it because we need it. Uh, And also um, do uh, near the commercialized world by uh, thinking of the sustainability flow also in economical terms of your research. Because it will help the not that daring companies uh, ease into your good solutions. And uh, yeah, there we would love to help them as a, a coordinating uh, platform for the meetup uh, between businesses and academia. Olivier Corradi, you represent the startup and the younger. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, what would, if you had a wish list uh, for this, uh, what would be on it? Um, how much time do you have? No. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm going to toot my own horn just for a second in the sense that like, the, our biggest challenge in the company right now is actually attracting the best talents uh, and having people that are extremely educated in machine learning, specifically on being able to forecast what the energy system is going to look like in the next couple of hours. Because, of course, if the wind you know, blows a little bit too late or a little bit too early, then there's a lot of implications on how you're managing the energy system there. So that's a big fundamental topic. But I want to take a, a, another topic that's uh, closer to my heart uh, and a bit different, talk about AI. And uh, I, I think most people that follow a bit along on the AI uh, side of things have seen like the new advances recently with GPT chat and all of these algorithms. And if you look at, uh, I, I pulled a few numbers, uh, and I think I heard in one presentation that you know the training of GPT could take like represent the same as uh, 70 or 700,000 kilometers of CO2 emissions by car. And just if you think about how staggering this is, it's absolutely crazy. And I have another order of magnitude. Uh, I've always been fascinated by the algorithm that DeepMind made when they, were, uh, when they beat the world champion at Go, AlphaGo, requires just to run a couple of kilowatt of power and the human brain is tenth of watts, something like that. So, you know, we have two orders of magnitude in order to get to a given performance per energy used. Right now, the way that we're doing better AI is just put more energy behind it, more CPUs, more GPUs, more parameters, and that's the way we're learning the world. So I think fundamentally, if we can build an AI that is, well, you know, actually intelligent, that looks like us, it is learning with parsimony in mind. It's learning by actually remembering only the things that matter and using intelligently the energy it has at its disposal. So I would love if we could get to a place where we could have you know, metrics such as R2 per watt uh, spent, what hour spent, or these kind of things. And I think there's a huge area of research uh, right there to explore. So you want more ecological AI, as you say, or more Absolutely, yeah. uh, low power AI? There's, a, there's an interesting effect called, you know, the, the rebound effect. If you are, and, you know, someone mentioned SUVs uh, before that. Uh, right now, all of the advances we're making in, uh, in, uh, in the technology that we're having are less enabling us to be more efficient, but actually more enabling us to just have more of the same. And so it's fine if you make a better car, but if that, the result is to have a bigger car, have you won that much? It's, it's the same emissions. It's exactly the same with IT, right? Uh, you want a better model, and a better model should be less energy, not just a bigger model. Thomas Bernhardt, what are your uh, hopes for the research in the future? I hope it will be excellent. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, nobody's going to listen to you if it's not excellent. I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, obviously, a lot of things to do, a lot of challenges. But if it's not excellent, nobody will listen. It also can just as well move on in the line of questions, saying that how do you see the cooperation between IT, the IT university, and maybe funds like yours or the private companies in the future taking place? Well, uh, the, the cooperation between the university and our foundation is, is very straightforward. Uh, we have open calls for excellent research. IT is a very elevated uh, topic. That, you know, there's a lot of opportunities uh, to, uh, to apply for money in these open calls. And then you're evaluated on your ideas and compared to others uh, in an open competition. And uh, we have very professional panels that evaluate that. And so that's the interaction. And we welcome everybody who has a great idea. 
I would like maybe to, uh, to take the same question to uh, Karlina Benjaminsen. How do you, do you see these corps between uh, uh, the IT University and the uh, Center for Climate uh, IT yeah. uh, going on with, uh, with maybe private companies? Uh, yeah, uh, we do that all the time in Digital Lead. We, we gather uh, companies who have a challenge that aren't are larger than uh, their ability to cope with the challenge themselves. So we, we never work with challenges that one company, one university or one uh, private institution can fix on their own. So we, we, we have to gather uh, people around the same challenge. We have to mature the challenge, f find out who, who are we working for here uh, and uh, who are part of the solution team. We have done that uh, building a digital energy hub. We have the four uh, technical universities parting that. We have uh, Center Denmark, almost the same as uh, Green Lab Skiba. They have a large uh, data lake. Uh, we work across uh, the energy cluster and the digital cluster. We have uh, three, four uh, large uh, energy firms, Vestas, Ørsted, Energinet, uh, and uh, EV. Uh, they, they put out the industrial challenges, and we uh, drag uh, all the companies that want to part the solution uh, lab um, to the challenges. And then we fundraise for the challenges that are good enough to scale. Uh, we put them to universities to test them, and we have uh, Ministry on Foreign Affairs, uh, the Silicon Valley Center, also parting the solution. So that's just one of the projects I just rolled out uh, there, because we believe that, I mean, we can't do this alone, and we really need people to collaborate. Mm. And we really need the, uh, the tech people also to collaborate in much larger scale. So that was just one example. Mm. Olivier Gorati, how do, do you see this uh, cooperation between uh, private companies and, uh, and an institution like the university? So, so maybe I, I can answer slightly differently in saying that we wouldn't probably be here if these public partnerships mm. uh, didn't. Uh, it seems like you know, the, what, what's fashionable when you create a startup is to get a lot of venture capitalist money and then that's the way you grow the company. We, we went a slightly different route, so we started working with a lot of uh, research projects to get us funded in the beginning, so like Center Denmark, yeah. Uh, yeah. Flexible oh, Energy Denmark, all of these. Uh, that, that is actually where we developed the first pieces of the technology that we have. And then later on, we scaled it up, and when we got some customers, that, then this is how we, we switched over um, our, our funding route. But I think in general, um, I have worked a couple of different places in the world, and I've never seen an ecosystem that is as efficient as Denmark to create these public-private partnerships and it's especially since uh, like when I studied in, in the technical university, I was able to be very, very close to the researchers. And I've, what I've seen Denmark deliver uniquely is this closeness between the innovation and the research. Like it's immediately applied. And I think that's really a strength that we have here and that we should you know, broadcast more. And I hope there's more startups that can follow a bit that, that route. So extremely important. Christian, I would like to, to uh, you need to move on to the question of uh, environment uh, again and I'll back to the climate change because we need to remember that uh, IC is not, not just a type of solution that is addressing climate concerns it's also part of the problem in many ways take for example the planetary effects of artificial intelligence as we talked uh, about before it's using a lot of power we also have vast mining and mineral extraction operations going on uh, in the future how do you how do you think we can kind of tip this balance uh, in this uh, very dif uh, difficult space so that IT becomes more helpful than not 
<laughs> you fix it. I'll, uh, should I fix it? Yeah. Um, so I, I, we can start off by saying that it's something that we are aware of and that we spend time on researching as well, that we put it in as a design parameter, that rather than building a smarter AI, we want a more efficient AI with the same amount of energy. We want something that's actually sustainable to tap in with what the rest of the world is doing constantly, putting these design parameters as something fundamental for how we design solutions for tomorrow, not only bigger and smarter, but also more energy efficient. And then I wanted to say something else. Can I do that? Of course. I wanted to say, because I'm, besides being a professor, I'm also the pro-rector for education at the University of Copenhagen. And I think it's absolutely crucial to think about an initiative like this as something that also affects the students at the IT University, that benefits the educations here, that becomes a beacon of light in terms of those who have an interest in that, and thereby contributing to future ecosystems like the one that you're mentioning, becoming something that is, a, is a, a part not only of an excellent research infrastructure, but also takes responsibility for the future generations. Um, so I call for that. Carolina Benjamin, where do we see this? Uh, what can we do to kind of make uh, IT? Of, of course, you, since you come from the private companies, you might say that uh, we're already doing this, but uh, is, it, is there more we can do that so that uh, IT solutions will not just be make the problems worse or make it better? Yeah, there's a lot more we can do because it has been a, a kind of a dark spot. We don't, we don't use at the energy our technologies uh, consume. So we need to look into that for sure. Um, uh, my wish would be that it would be a design uh, parameter uh, at the same level like uh, GPDR. That's what the companies understand that. They also actually understand uh, cybersecurity. A lot will understand NIS, NIS, the new NIS 2 coming right up. Uh, the ESG uh, programs, they also understand that because they will be, it's par parameters they will be measured on and it will affect the business. So if we could put uh, the data uh, or the, the energy consumption on the line with that, that would be wonderful. And it would also fit the image we have and also are trying to build on out there that developing software uh, in Denmark is an ethical place to do it. It's a place where you easily can trust your software uh, if you, you run your testing in Denmark because, um, and we are good with public-private partnerships. So it would, it would fit that uh, very responsible development of software and we aren't there yet, must say. Olivier, you were talking about, uh, earlier about uh, more to taking humans out of the uh, Do we also need maybe, for example, a kind of a political directions uh, for the companies? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, Karina, you, you actually said it all. Like, if we, if we want to make sure that this thing doesn't, uh, you know, impact, like, cause more harm than good, in the end, the regulatory route is the only route uh, if you want to make sure it gets enforced. Uh, if we look at GDPR privacy, I mean, the only reason people care yeah, is because it's a fine, right? Yeah. And a big fine, not a small one. Um, so, so I think step one, get the data layer right so you can measure, quantify, because if you can't measure or quantify anything that you, you don't know, right? And the second piece is enforce a limit to make sure that people are trying to optimize within the limit and not just pushing the limit up, uh, up, um, up right. Um, so measure and then uh, have the regulatory uh, framework in place. We only have a few minutes left of the debate, but I would I, like... I agree yeah. there should be a fine for every stupid email you 
Yeah. It's <laughs> the joke should needs be to be fine funny. for every crazy video of your cat that you put into the cloud and so forth. I agree with that. But it sort of, uh, it sort of um, you know, reminds us that somehow we, we, we think that IT is for free. I mean, it's like it costs nothing. We're used to, I mean, we're still in, I'm still, I'm old. You know, we stop printing. So we think we are very climate friendly. We stop printing and instead we throw all these crazy videos into the sky and we think it's, or the cloud, and we think it's um, free, but it's not. And, and so there's a whole, you know, it's a cultural thing that we need to change completely uh, our thinking about IT and, and limit it. Uh, and so um, otherwise it's endless. It's endless. And I, you know, I completely agree with Christian that you know, a university does good research, shares it with students, and the students and graduates, that's the carrier way of, of impact. So the research should be excellent, and the teaching should be excellent, and then uh, the students basically take it into society, into your company, or into wherever, and, 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 make, and change the world. So that's, that's the way it's done. There's actually an interesting trend on this table because everybody is using notebooks uh, which are physical, uh, not uh, only me uh, running around with this. Yeah, but uh, what it used to be uh, a few years ago, sitting in front of or mobile phone. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but it kind of something is obviously changing. Um, as a last round, uh, could you you have a short uh, possibility to say what your biggest hopes are for climate IT in, uh, in the future. Maybe we start with you. I hope that this center can help set an agenda for, uh, for climate IT in Denmark, for direction, for education, and develop some of the solutions that we so desperately need. Good luck. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> Carolina? Yeah, I would love the center to be the European epicenter for climate research. I think that would be excellent a place that we knew we could also go, uh, already, ah, sorry, a place to go um, for both uh, academia but also for uh, companies. And, and I think it's important to make this uh, a platform where also companies search for knowledge. Uh, I think your, your uh, cloud example is brilliant. Uh, and if we could get more uh, companies to be interested in uh, the research at the center, it would be lovely. Olivier Claude. I would love if the center could be a convergence point uh, between younger students that have you know, ambitious, crazy ideas, uh, people who want to fund these crazy ideas, um, and then sort of the innovators in the corporate world who actually want these things to happen. Um, I think we need to bring some more, like all these, these people need to be talking to each other. There's not enough of that in the world. Thomas Bjørn, you have the last word. Well, uh, you know, the climate and the green transition, it's a very strong agenda in Denmark, and the politicians are putting a lot of money into this agenda, and they do it mainly through the Danish Innovation Foundation, and they are actually putting billions of kroner every year there. And, and they have decided politically that there are four uh, areas. It's basically to take CO2 out of the air, to uh, make green electricity into... Uh, and CO2 into a lot of things, hydrogen and fuel, uh, to make the Danish agriculture, the cows uh, fat and breathe less, fat less and breathe less, and, and, and then finally circular economy. So that's the four uh, politically decided you know, areas and there are roadmaps for those. 
And I think I wish this center could be uh, those who said in the IT university, there should be a fifth, <laughs> which is because IT is so important for everything. And, and it doesn't belong as you know, part of the carpet or the tapestry in the room. It's actually, it should have a, a more elevated position in this agenda uh, in the future, I think. So that's a, that's a challenge. Get that fifth roadmap for how ET can change the climate. Thank you very much, and thanks to the whole panel. <laughs> and not the other section outside.